Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bowling. morning comes from the gospel of Matthew, the 28th chapter. That's the last chapter in Matthew's gospel. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of them that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then... Go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, folks, I want you to stand up for a minute. Everybody stand up. All right, I want you to turn to your neighbor now. Say, neighbor, do you know the story of Easter? Now, I want you to hold out your arms like you're Jesus on the cross. You're going to tell the story here. Okay, hold out your arms like Jesus on the cross. Now, I want you to slump a bit like you've died on the cross. Now put your hands on the side of your cheek like you're sleeping as Jesus did in the grave on Saturday. 
And now raise your arms in the air. You've risen from the dead. Now say to your neighbor, you too have risen from the dead because of what Jesus did. Now you've just told the story of Easter. Now sit down. (laughs) You know, it's funny. Almost everyone in America today believes deep down that there is life after death. It wasn't that way back at the time of Jesus. There was an entire group of Jews who believed that there was no resurrection ever. They were called the Sadducees. Today, even most atheists, though, believe that somehow, some way, people live after death. Now, there are a few really tough atheists who will tell you they don't believe in life after death. For they recognize that they have to say this if they really want to be called atheists. But you know, most secretly believe that they will actually live after their earthly death. You know how I know this? Forty years ago, I was an atheist. I was an atheist when I was a teenager and in my 20s. Most atheists just believe that there's no God or more precisely, just like me, they don't want to accept the God and the moral and ethical code that they think Christians worship. Very simply, you see, there are people who realize that if they accept that there is a God, then they recognize that God might have some definite ideas about how they should choose to live, what they should do and what they should not do. And so... These folks, they struggle in the darkness of the nights, trying to figure out how they're going to survive after their earthly death. It's scary. And some some come to the conclusion their consciousness simply ends when our earthly life ends, but not most. You see, logic and something built deeply into our souls tells us that death cannot be the end, that somehow we continue onward after death. And so in America, the overwhelming number of people who reject Christianity still accept the supernatural, life after death, magic, ghosts, demons, devils, witchcraft, and other ideas that cannot be explained by the normal everyday happenings of science and our normal everyday observations. They accept the supernatural, especially when those beliefs also allow them to do anything they want to do. And so we Americans, we believe that we will live beyond death even if we reject or don't understand Christianity. If we're a Christian today, it's important that we understand how our neighbors think about this. And you can talk to them and you can say, you know, there are three possible ways that a person can live after death. We can live in a world much like our existing world, pretty much going on much the same way. Or wouldn't that be sad? We can live in a world much worse than our existing world. Or we could live in a world much better than our current world. And so we need to think through a couple of steps on this. Let's let's assume like they do, that there is no God. If so, then the world after our death will be determined largely by the people who are already there and have been there for centuries. 
For there are many more people who lived and died in past centuries than have died in the last few years. And when we think that through, then an afterlife formed by men would be a terrible place. Why? Well, if we think about it, looking through the lens of the people who reject Christianity because of the moral and ethical teachings of Christianity, as those who reject Christianity imagine it, work through this with me. There are people who reject Christianity because they believe and say it was the creation of evil men who wanted to hold their power over women, over those with different ideas about love, over those who had darker skins. If those Christians of the past were wrong, and Christianity is not true, then it's logical that those evil men of the past will have created a world which is like our world, like the world our enlightened people of today believe about hundreds of years ago, where women are servants, all non-whites are slaves, and those who love in a non-standard way are punished severely. It would be a world much worse than the world of today, much less accepting. There are those other people who reject Christianity because they say it stifles those who would be different, with different ideas. There are those who believe that all progress has been held back by our belief in Christianity. But if Christianity is not true, and the Christianity haters are right, then the people who have created the next world will have been the vast number of Christians who lived during the Middle Ages. When conformity to specific ideas was very important, when kings and emperors reigned, and those who disagreed with the dominant ideas were punished, it will be the world as imagined the past was by those who reject Christian standards. A stifled world, much worse than the world of today, where disagreements and new ideas are celebrated and often rewarded financially. And there are those who reject Christianity because they say, it may be true for you, but it's not true for me. As if religion is a political choice. A choice between preferences, like our choice of desserts. You like cherry pie? I can't stand it. I prefer lemon pie. In this case, would the afterlife have different sections for different types of beliefs? Christians here, Muslims there, pagans over there? I don't think so, because in the absence of a God to maintain order, wouldn't that simply be a recipe for mass warfare? My friends, the whole idea that religions are simply opinions is based upon the mistaken idea that Christianity is all about our moral and ethical choices. But Jesus made it very clear that his claims were not moral and ethical claims. That is a secondary thing. But the core claims were the claims about who he is, who his father is, and what will happen after death. These were the claims that sent him to the cross. And these are the claims that the resurrection deals with. And there are those who accept Christianity, but also define Christianity as a particular way of living, a moral and ethical system, even a code that defines our dress code and our language and what's right and what's wrong. But Christianity's core is not a series of ethics it's not a series of morals. That comes later. It's not a manner of dress or a manner of speaking. The core of Christianity 
are answers to a much more critical set of questions. Why is the world the way it is? Why do people die? And how can we survive death? Some people, indeed some Christians, have decided to answer these questions very narrowly as just the beliefs of their denominations or the particular church. If this is the truth, then only a handful of people have the right beliefs. And then it would be interesting to see which, if any, of these narrow Christians is right. For there are many groups who believe that they have the exact set of right answers, but they disagree with each other. Yet the great sweep of Christianity has a very broad view of these questions and what the answers are. And since the resurrection of Jesus, certain ideas have been agreed upon by over 90% of Christian leaders throughout the ages. The rest is just window dressing. Core issues. First, there is a good, generous, and forgiving God the Father who created the universe, who started everything moving, who meddles in the universe from time to time to ensure a good outcome for all who follow him. Some Christians think this happened over the course of a week, and others accept a much longer timeline, but all accept that a good, generous, and forgiving God the Father began creation. Secondly, Jesus was both completely human and completely part of God walking upon the earth. God in human flesh. He was born to a woman, but fathered by the Holy Spirit. As a child, he lived with his mother and an earthly stepfather who was married to his mother. Jesus grew up and taught us many new ideas about how to understand God, how to relate to God, and how to relate to other people. And yes, some of those were a series of moral and ethical ideas, such as forgive others a lot, treat other people like you'd like to be treated, and sacrifice for another is perhaps the highest standard of goodness. The third core point people agree upon is that Jesus taught that we all committed terrible sins, which are ways we chose to disobey God's commands and advice. And because of these sins, we all deserve death in a just world because of the damage we do to other people and to our relationship with God. That's why we deserve death. We hurt the other creations of God. And so Jesus, the immensely valuable God-man, chose to become an innocent sacrifice, which would pay all the sacrifices that we owed God through Jesus' death on the cross. He would die in our place. And then, when he came back to life on Easter morning, Jesus proved that he had the power to defeat death itself. And he proved that his claims were true and that there is indeed a good, forgiving God who controls life after death. And his resurrection also proved that Jesus knew this God intimately as a son knows his father. And so we should listen to Jesus' ideas, not because they may back up our ideas of good and evil, not even because they challenge us to think deeply about what is right and wrong, but because Jesus knows what the God who controls life and death wants from us. You know, I shudder to think about the next life if it depends upon a world developed and managed by the leaders of the past. People like Genghis Khan or the Emperor Nero, Alexander the Great, Napoleon Bonaparte, Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin. 
You see, for me, that would be a place of torture, a place of punishment, a place like hell. And so I certainly hope for the afterlife to offer at least a chance of being a better place. For if hell or a place run by ordinary people is all there is, that's tremendously depressing. For there's no escape. We cannot even choose to die to escape such a world to come. But you know, if a generous, loving, forgiving God controlled the issues of life and death and creation and an afterlife, how good could it be? What if our God actually sacrificed himself so we could live forever? What does that say about his character and what he might do for us? And thankfully, there is tremendous evidence that Christianity, which claims these things, that Christianity is actually true. Now, I'm not talking about the Christianity of the movies or television. The Christianity that's said to be a rigid moral code, which is always broken by those who claim to be Christians. By the way, have you ever noticed that if you're watching television show or a movie, particularly a British movie. If a committed Christian appears in the movie, then he or she is the insane murderer or the thief or the adulterer. Shows you what Hollywood thinks of Christians. True Christians understand that a Christian believer is not one who follows rigid moral rules out of a desire for heaven and never messes up. But a true Christian believer is a person who understands deeply how far from perfect we each are and how thankful we are that our God is not a God who insists we walk a moral tightrope over an abyss ready for us to fall into hellfire at at the first sin. But our God is good and forgiving and generous and the resurrection is a proof of that. For true Christian believers know that none of us can avoid committing sins every single day and thus are deeply thankful that God offers us a different path to heaven, a much better afterlife than mere humans could make. That path to our eternal salvation is what we celebrate today on Easter. Our path is to follow God's Son, Jesus Christ. As we saw last week, Jesus came to earth as a small baby. He grew to meet an adult of about 30 and began to teach around the Middle East, mainly between the Sea of Galilee and Jerusalem. He chose 12 men to be his key followers, disciples, and taught them for three years while healing people from blindness and deafness and the inability to speak, demonic possession and paralysis. A few people were even brought back from death. And then he was arrested in Jerusalem for claiming to be the Son of God. In particular, one day he said, I and the Father are one. And they remembered after they tried to stone him that day and he got away. The next time he came back into town, he was arrested. He was beaten, tried, and executed by being hung on a cross with his hands and ankles nailed to the cross. He died there. And a Roman soldier stuck a spear in his side to be sure he was dead. A couple of wealthy friends put his body in a rock tomb, mummy-wrapped, before sunset on Friday. A 2,000-pound rock was dropped in a trench in front of the tomb, and the seals of the Roman governor and the heads of the temple 
sealed the tomb, and a guard of 16 soldiers was assigned to stand guard for the next few days. And everyone thought that that was that. But by Jewish custom, women who are close to someone who has died always clean the body. Still do today. A group of women who cared for Jesus deeply returned early on Sunday morning after the Jewish Sabbath to wash his body and rewrap the linen around him. It was their last act of friendship. It was what you do if you're a Jewish woman. But when they arrived at the tomb, the rock had been rolled away. The tomb was open. The guards were unconscious. And at least one angel greeted the women. And soon Jesus, fully alert and walking around, greeted at least one of the women. Informed by the women, Peter and John confirmed, they ran to the tomb and confirmed that Jesus was no longer in the tomb. And a few hours later, other reports came in. Two men walking with a stranger on the road to Emmaus, about six miles away, They recognized that stranger as Jesus when he joined them for a meal at an inn. And ten of the disciples gathered that evening at the upper room where the Last Supper had been held, around supper time, and Jesus appeared and spoke to all of them, even eating a bit of fish. A week later, all eleven surviving disciples were greeted again. And eventually, according to the Apostle Paul, Over 500 people saw Jesus alive. He spoke, he taught, he walked with them. He even cooked breakfast for seven of them on the shores of the Galilean lake. And dozens of little details in the gospel writings have been confirmed by archaeologists over the last hundred years. Details like what path did a road take, the location of pools of water, the names of Romans and Jews of the time. Many details make perfect sense when we work through the sociology of the time, the psychology of the situation, and corroborate ideas and concepts and events with Roman and Jewish writers of the day. And through the centuries, millions of other people have encountered Jesus through miraculous answers to prayer, through visions, through strangers who gave them mysterious, wonderful guidance, perhaps through people who helped you get a tire loose from your vehicle, and through dreams. And so most Christians today conclude that Jesus was indeed the Son of God, God's presence walking upon the earth as a human man, a tremendously wise God-man who taught crowds for three years, was arrested and crucified to death on a Friday in the early spring, and then came back to life that Sunday morning. So what? Well, if Jesus is indeed God's presence on the earth, then everything he said is of great importance. And while many of his teachings were indeed about morals and ethics, about loving neighbors and not hating neighbors, he also taught those who choose to follow him will have eternal life with him and God the Father. He taught that the Holy Spirit, God's very breath, will come to those who believe, follow him, and are baptized. And that Spirit will guide followers into a more abundant life in this life and into a good eternal life in the next life. He did not say this abundant life would be easy or we would become rich. But our life would be more fulfilling and spiritually rich and we would learn how to deal with life better.
He taught that life is not hopeless and does not end with our earthly death. And he told us that if we believe that all authority on earth and in heaven has been given to us from Jesus, given by given to Jesus, I'm sorry, we are to go to all types of people, baptize them and teach them everything he's commanded. And if we did this, he would be with us to the end of the age. So now I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, Neighbor, are you a follower of Jesus? And answer your neighbor truly. Now, whether they said yes or no, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say to them this. You can always call me. Anytime you need something or need to talk, you can always call me. For that is what true, mature Christian believers are like. Followers who have truly walked far down the path of life behind Jesus. They are aware of their own shortcomings, aware that they depend upon God for life and are thus willing to help other people come to the love of Jesus. Now, if you have not yet chosen to follow Jesus, Easter morning is one of the best times to make that decision. In a moment, many people are going to come up and take the elements of communion and then come to the altar to kneel or stand to pray. The ones who are standing are probably standing because their knees aren't good enough to go down and come back up. You know who I mean. But you can pray for yourself or another person. All people here are welcome to our communion.
Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Boley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the GIVE tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.